It's January 24th, 2021. We officially have a new president and vice president as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are sworn in over the week. While Michelle Obama is looking regal in her purple, Bernie looks memeable in his mittens. It's Tampa Bay at Green Bay and Buffalo at Kansas City, and no one understands Kyrie. The first Royal Rumble debuted on this day in 1988, and we lost two icons over the week in Hank Aaron and Larry King. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture podcast where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like people tagging me in posts that have nothing to do with me. Look, if it pops up on my timeline and I see it and I like it, I'll like it, I'll love it, I'll laugh at it, ha ha, sad face, heart. All of that. But if I don't see it, if I don't like it, so fucking what? You'll be alright. What's up, everybody? I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Black, Reefer Sutherland, Luke Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troller of trolls, the prince of petty, Steve G. And this is over the culture. Yeah, yeah. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. We was down for so long, didn't have no choice but to go up. Go up, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. Spending racks and demons on my girl, watching her glow up. Rich nigga still in the neighborhood, still eating coca. Street nigga, bitch, I'm in the Bentley doing donuts. Taught myself how to get millions, ain't nobody show us. From my young nigga, 50 balls, told him little nigga, grow up. So last night I had a dream that I worked for Fox and we had a staff meeting in this dream. There were only a handful of us in this staff meeting and we were in front of the owner of the company himself, Rupert Murdoch. Now, Rupert asked each of us one by one how we felt about our job. What do we think about our job? When it got to my turn, I told him how much I did not like the job. I dropped off a load of grievances and complaints. And after each of us talked, he said, hey, all of these people can leave except for one. There's always gotta be one kiss ass. But I was one of the people who had to pack my bags. But after I got fired, I did not stop. I went to town. I let him know what I thought of his company how much I thought his company sucked, how much I thought his network sucked, how much of a shell of its former self it is. You used to be beautiful. Now look at you. To the point where I started trolling him in person. Oh, you think my feelings are hurt because I'm fired from this fictional job that I have in my dream? It's my fucking dream. Insane. I like that dream. I want more dreams like that. It'd have been a little bit better if I was able to slap him, punch him in his face. But for some reason, my punches in my dreams, my slaps, my hits, they're weak. I don't know why. That really grinds my gears. Over the week, we had the inauguration. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are now officially our president and vice president. The Obamas were there. The Clintons were there. The Bushes were there. J-Lo was there. A-Rod was there. Lady Gaga was there. Garth Brooks was there. You know who wasn't there? Y'all know who wasn't there. So Donald John gave his uh, final farewells that morning. And he took his caravan and headed to Florida. Because why not? Florida, where anything goes where every morning there's a headline of man of Florida, woman of Florida. 
where all kinds of fuck shit goes on. So that's where he's at now, apparently. And that's where he should stay. Is this your king? Is this their king? Whatever happened, Q World, Q Universe, the Q Crew, I thought he was going to come and save the day from these evil, radical liberals. Nah, I changed my mind. I think I'm just going to go to Florida. Nigga, you should be in jail. You really should be in jail. But thanks for pardoning Kodak Black. Thanks for pardoning Lil Wayne. That's pretty fucking random. Yet we have all these political prisoners who shouldn't serve one day in jail. They're probably going to stay there for the remainder of their lives. Got to look out for your boy, Steve Bannon. Why does your name have to be Steve? Steve's are supposed to be cool. Cool. But hey. Michelle looked good in her regal purple. I've always been a fan of Lady Gaga the person. Don't care too much for her music. But I don't know. She's kind of weird looking. I, I, I like my women to have like a little kind of a weird trait to them. You can't be completely flawless. Can't be 100% flawless. Something's up. She's got she's got a honker on her. She's got a uh, she's got a nose. Uh, so what? I got big ears. Always have. I find that cute. I find that endearing. And I like to think she's a freak. We like freaks here at Over the Culture, don't we? Yeah. And then there was Bernie. Bernie and his mittens looking smitten. Just sitting there. Looking like he's getting ready to play some euchre. Make s'mores at the campfire. Good old Uncle Bernie. Don't you love him? I hope he's a good sport about all these memes the internet's been making. There's Bernie at the moon landing. There's Bernie at the French Revolution. There's Bernie at the Haitian Revolution. There's Bernie on Archie Bunker's chair. There's Barney at Mill's Diner. Barney at the OJ case. There's Barney in the Bronco. There's Barney getting clotheslined by the Legion of Doom. Memes make the world go round. And I'm a very avid meme collector. There's an art to memes. There's an art to meme sharing. If you can find those memes, those rare gems, those deep cuts, the the memes that you don't see on other people's timeline, you're an expert. If, if, If I always see you sharing memes that I never see elsewhere, some exclusives, some rares, some rookie Michael Jordan cards, Those are Babe Ruth mint condition. Some Hank Aaron mint condition. R.I.P. to the legend. Everyone can appreciate a really good meme. And speaking of memes, I've seen pictures floating around, uh, still shots of the verses over the past week that happened between Ashanti and Keisha Cole. And in the background, I see on Keisha Cole's table, uh, looks like a, a little baggie of some booger sugar. 
some fine china. Cocaine. Tony Montana. Tony Montana. Yeah, Keisha. Uh, you know, the former Miss Booby Gibson. You know, I, I, I didn't know she got down like that. But I always did sense a, a bit of ratchetness. And hey, if that's how you get down, that's how you get down. Me, myself, personally, I don't like playing with my nose. I don't like it. Hey, but whatever floats your boat. Did any of you see the verses between Ashanti and Keisha Cole? I did not. I saw more memes than anything. I saw more memes than the actual verses itself. Apparently, Keisha Cole showed up late. Maybe she was getting her supply. Her plug was running late. Apparently, there was an OT Genesis appearance cameo. But, yeah, I mean, I they're, they're both gorgeous women. Uh, I, I like Ashanti a little bit more, but uh, they're both beautiful. And, uh, you know, I, I like that. But music-wise, I don't know if I could sit through a whole Ashanti Keisha Cole verses. Uh, no, thank you. And I, I'm sorry, I... I don't mean to undermine or disparage these ladies, but I just say, hey, I mean, it's art and it's my opinion. I just, I'm, you, you, you never will see me going to the Keisha Cole playlist, the Ashanti playlist. Gorgeous though. I like them. And uh, to those who did view the verses, I hope you enjoyed it. What I don't enjoy is this COVID. This motherfucking COVID will not go away. Fucking up all the church money. Niggas can't do concerts. Niggas can't do comedy shows. One nigga who can't do comedy shows right now is Dave Chappelle, the GOAT. And I saw Dave Chappelle back in 2002, my freshman year in Bowling Green. He fucking killed I'd like to see him again at some point in my life before he retires or before he retires, retires. But he had to cancel some shows because he caught the COVID-zle, for shizzle. And COVID, you can fuck with the Trumps all you want. You could fuck with Giuliani. I don't give a fuck about them and the people who care about them. No one gives a fuck about them. But you're coming for Dave Chappelle covid when I find you, I will beat your fucking ass. You tried to get at Erica Badu. You went up one of her nostrils that you didn't get in the other. You leave Erica Badu and her sweet nostrils and her sweet pussy alone. She's got to make pussy candles for the world, and her pussy candles are essential. So I hope Dave beats this COVID. And if he doesn't, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to kick his ass. You leave my icons, you leave my people alone. Dave is for the culture. He's not for the COVID. Got it? You've outdone your welcome, COVID. You've been a punk ass bitch. You're being like Trump. This is a Donald Trump of an illness this is a Donald this is the Donald Trump of viruses just will not go away refuses to go away go away nigga we got vaccines for your ass now no it's fake news they're not real vaccines I want to recount but dude you've already taken millions of people off this planet. Nope, it's fake news. But you killed Larry King, motherfucker. No. He was 87. Natural causes. Never happened. R.I.P. to another legend we lost over the week. Larry King, I didn't watch a lot of his shit, you know, uh, but I'm very familiar with him. I think most of us at a certain age are familiar with Larry King for years he was on CNN 
and my great grandfather, God rest his soul, he always watched CNN. And, you know, he was the man of the house. And we had two TVs in the house. And it was the bedroom TV and the living room TV. Now, if grandpa wasn't home, I'd pick the living room TV. It was the better TV. It was the bigger TV. It had color. The one in the bedroom had black and white. And it was smaller. So when grandpa's away, the grandson will play. I'm going to watch my cartoons. I'm going to watch my wrestling. Oh, grandpa's back. Back to CNN. Fuck. He kept that TV on CNN. And as a kid, I was thinking, it's just telling you the same shit all day. Why? Just get your tidbits of information and just fucking let me get the remote. Oh, I miss my grandpa. But man, yeah, I, I, I remember Larry King being on that screen when I wanted Hulk Hogan to be on that screen, when I wanted the Smurfs to be on that screen. He-Man. The Turtles, Jake the Snake, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior. I wanted those guys to be on the screen, but yep, here's Larry King. I do remember that. As a young kid, in my young, young kid days, I remember seeing Larry King's face. And he's been in the game. He was in the game for a long time. From before I was even born up until my mid-30s, mid to late 30s. And he made it to 87. I feel like 70 plus, you're winning. You make it to 70 plus, everything from there on out is bonus round. But he did a lot of living. Apparently he did a lot of fucking. The man had seven wives, I hear. That's what they're saying. And with those seven wives came a lot of kids. So he's left his mark. Maybe he has a son named Mark. Mark King. But. R.I.P. to a legend. And as as I got older. I, I appreciated Larry King's craft. He's a great interviewer. The. One of the things I like in an interviewer. Is how they can make intimate conversation in such a public setting Larry King was nationwide he was on cable television for years and Larry King live watching that each of his guests it just seemed like it was just them and no one was watching that that's how he made it seem for years and I, I feel like you have to do that for a long time. That there, there's that's a level of mastery to make your guests comfortable, even someone who's generally uncomfortable. He's interviewed celebrities from every facet of pop culture. Music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. Larry King did all of that. But this COVID, man. This motherfucking COVID. I I cannot deal. And for those of you who are affected by or indirectly affected by it. By having a family member, a close personal loved one affected by it. Hey, man. Godspeed. And I just can't find it in myself to sit around and go back and forth with conspiracy theorists about this pandemic, about this virus. Oh, it was created in a lab and man, that's not real. It's just the flu and they're just putting it on the death certificate that it was COVID, that it was the corona. Look, man, whether this shit came naturally or from a lab, artificially, I don't want to catch it. 
I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm about to go into this public setting. I'm going to put on my mask. I'm about to walk out the door, about to put on my mask. If it's a legit pandemic or if it's a fake man-made pandemic, I don't want to catch either or. Nope. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. I can't fuck with it. But what I can fuck with is that young Dolph. I sure the fuck can. He just dropped a deluxe album of his Rich Slave release. Now, Rich Slave was released by Young Dolph in August of 2020. And he just made a deluxe version, which is an hour and 11 minutes. He just released that this past Friday. And I like it. I love it. I give it six fucking mics. Young Dolph, Mr. Dolph, Young Flipper, they call him. Hold up, hold up, hold up. That's what he starts off with. Going into Black Friday. To be honest, I see money, corduroy house shoes. What's the business? The land, death row, cray cray, R&B featuring Megan Thee Stallion, Rich Slave, Until It Rot, Blue Diamonds, No Sense featuring Key Glock, Benz, One Scale featuring G Herbo, Large Amounts, Fast, Give Me My Bag, Green Light featuring... Yeah, Green Light featuring Key Glock, Scotch, Obey Your Thirst, No Regrets featuring Kenny Money, Buy My Way in Heaven. He went and got a bag and now everything lit, he says. Everything. Everything, nigga. Everything. Young Dolph, man. Some more noise coming from Memphis. Memphis rappers, man. They definitely got their niche in the game. From your Juicy J, play me some pimpin' man. Shut the fuck up! 3-6 Mafia, that whole collective. A-Ball and MJG. Yo Gotti. Of course. Young Dolph. Moneybag Yo. Can't forget about him. Black Youngster. Shout out to Memphis, man. So check out that Rich Slave. The Deluxe. Check out both. The original and the Deluxe version. They're different experiences. But Young Dolph, I've been a fan for years. Now today we have our conference championship games. We got Tampa Bay at Green Bay. Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Don't like either one of those fuckers. Going on to the AFC, you got Buffalo at Kansas City. I'm pulling from my homeboy. I I, I want the Chiefs to win this whole deal because I don't like Tampa Bay. I don't like anything Florida. Can't stand Tom Brady, not my goat. Don't fuck with Aaron Rodgers. Discount double check these fucking nuts. And Buffalo, eh, it just, uh, I don't mind if Buffalo wins. I mean, you could say they're overdue. They did kind of go to four straight Super Bowls back in the day and lost all four of them. Despite having really good rosters. I don't have anything against Buffalo, but if I don't have a dog in the race, I usually pull for the Midwestern team. Kansas City's definitely Midwest. And I do like my homeboy, Patrick Mahomes. He's a different breed of quarterback. He can do it all. About as American as apple pie. Billion dollar paycheck, man. So even though they beat those Browns, I was pulling for the Browns. Uh, they put on a good show and Dog Pound Nation should be proud it made some progress man enough with being the laughing stock of the league 
Enough is enough and it's time for a change. Word to Owen Hart. So tonight we got Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Buffalo at Kansas City. Let's go, my homeboy. Now, this whole fiasco in Brooklyn, it continues. Kyrie finally comes back and we get to see him, Harden, and KD play together. However, they lose. You want to know who they lost to? Them Cavs of Cleveland, Ohio. Colin Sexton, he better get his propers. And if not, hey, y'all going to find out soon enough. Cleveland has become Sexland. Welcome to Sexland. So the Brooklyn Nets... They played Cleveland twice, back-to-back games. They lost twice, back-to-back games. Colin Sexton went off for 40-plus in the first game. Came back in the next game, 20-plus. Go Cavs. I mean, I know it's so early in the league, it's so early in the season to say this, but if we keep this up, you might see them Cavs back in the playoffs. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to go off the rails and say, oh man, see us in the Eastern Conference Finals. But from what I've seen in the past couple of weeks, they should be able to get an eight seed. Now, the thing with Kyrie, uh, apparently there were some issues with his family. And, you know, you got to take care of home base. I think that there are certain things that are more important than money. And family's definitely one of those things. Now, I only agree with Kyrie to an extent. Now, his explanation as to why he went AWOL, he had to tend to family matters and people don't understand you know, life is more than basketball. Life is more than just this game. And that's true. But at the same time, this is your job. I get it. You have to go to different cities throughout the year and your family is stationary. They're stagnant. They can't make the moves you do. They can't go to every game you go to. You can't just pack your family up in a bag and a suitcase and luggage and just take them to Boston, take them to Cleveland. You can't take them to Miami. You can't take them to Los Angeles, to Golden State. You can't. Unfortunately, you can't. But at the same time, as an adult, as a man, your responsibility is also doing what you're paid to do it sucks when you have to go to different cities away from your home away from your family but guess what what about the people who have to do that who aren't professional athletes what about the people who have to move to a different city across the country to do what they have to do And they're not playing in the NBA. They're not playing in the NFL. They're not playing in the MLB. They can't just, on a whim, just get a ticket and just say, Hey, family, I'm here. I was just talking to y'all last night. I caught an overnight flight. Oh, some of us can't do that, Kyrie. And I'm only saying that because I'm one of those fucking people. I'm from Ohio. Born and raised. Proud of it. And then in my early 20s, I had to move to Houston, Texas for better opportunity because there's only so much Ohio can offer. I love it, but man, a lot of people are from there and they have to move the fuck out to do what they have to do. And a lot of those people, they're not playing for the Brooklyn Nets as a starting all-star point guard. So I can empathize with you to an extent. Now, when I was in Houston, away from my family in Ohio, let's see, I lost my great-grandmother, I lost my great-grandfather, I lost my grandmother. And, you know, people got sick from time to time. I had to miss some holidays, some Christmases, some birthdays, some Easter's, some Thanksgivings. And I had to chalk it up to the fact that it is what it is. I love them. 
unfortunately, I couldn't be around them uh, during certain times. But I had a job to do. I had to stay in Houston unless someone was hiring and paying that same amount in Ohio, which they were not uh, and which they still are not. It's a part of life, Kyrie. You have to look after your family. You have to take care of your family. But if your job is paying you millions of dollars a year to put that ball in the hoop, guess what? Family, I got to see you when I can see you. I definitely can't see you when my team needs me to be on the basketball court. Nigga, nobody put a gun up to your head and told you to do this shit. Nobody told you to have these ill-ass handles. Nobody told you to be one of the best off-the-dribble scorers in NBA history. Nigga, this is what you signed up for. You're a sought-after, all-star caliber NBA player. And your team, the people who are paying you, that owner that paid you is expecting you to be there. Barring any personal injury on your person. Unless you physically cannot get on that court and dribble and put the ball in the hoop. Nigga, you need to clock in. I hope this doesn't sound like a shut up and dribble because it's totally not. It's about being able to step outside of yourself and look at other people's perspective. Look, Kyrie, I get it, man. You got to take care of your family. But what about the people who can't just who aren't making millions of dollars, who are away from their family? They still have to go to work. Nigga, you still got to go to work. What you, you think because you're a celebrity that this rule doesn't apply to you? Motherfucker, you don't own the team. Your job is to play basketball. How tough is that? Just like in Houston, my job was to make sure millions of people, thousands of people possibly are watching you on television play basketball. They're already talking about trading Kyrie. And I mean, if that happens, that that would be counterproductive for Brooklyn because that's not what their plan was. Their plan was to have James Harden and Kyrie Irving in the backcourt with KD as the assigned alpha. And if they can keep that collective together, they're definitely coming out of the East. Sorry, Miami. Sorry, Milwaukee. Sorry, Philly. Now, as we all know now, uh, over the week, we lost a sports legend. And Hank Aaron, he, he's a legend down here in Atlanta, just like Larry King is a legend here down in Atlanta. You know, Larry King worked for CNN for years, and CNN, as we all know, is based out of Atlanta. It's, it's one of Turner's babies. And Hank Aaron, for years, played for the Milwaukee Braves that would eventually become the Atlanta Braves and became a household name. And we lost him over the week, and he took the vaccine not too long before he died so people wonder why someone would be skeptical about this you know I I I don't want to just throw it out the window completely not saying I'm completely opposed to this vaccine but I need y'all to get these betas out of the way I need I need you guys to Make sure I need you to be 100% proof positive that this shit has no side effects. And I'm already seeing some of the side effects in some of these videos. I tested myself and I was negative. Want to stay that way. Whether this shit was natural or man-made, I don't want to catch the shit. But if I have to, I'd like for us to be at a certain place where this shit is proven no side effects so Hank Aaron he took the vaccine not too long before he died and I want to take a trip down the memory lane uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the milestone that he did now this didn't happen on January 24th but in honor of the late great Hank Aaron 
in memory of him. Let's talk about the time when he became the home run king. Aaron himself downplayed the chase to surpass Babe Ruth, while baseball enthusiasts in the national media grew increasingly excited as he closed in on the 714 career home runs record. Aaron received thousands of letters every week during the summer of 1973, including hate mail. The Braves ended up hiring a secretary to help him sort through it. Aaron, then at the age of 39, hit 40 home runs and 392 at-bats, ending in the 1973 season, one home run short of the record. He hit home run number 713 on September 29, 1973, and with one day remaining in the season, many expected him to tie the record. But in his final game that year, playing against the Houston Astros, he was unable to achieve this. After the game, Aaron said his only fear was that he might not live to see the 1974 season. He was the recipient of death threats and a large assortment of hate mail during the 1973-74 offseason from people who did not want to see Aaron break Ruth's home run record. Threats extended to those providing positive press coverage of Aaron. Louis Grizzard, then the executive sports editor of Atlanta Journal, reported receiving numerous phone calls calling journalists nigger lovers for covering Aaron's chase. While preparing the massive coverage of the home run record, he quietly had an obituary written, afraid that Aaron might be murdered. Sports Illustrated pointedly summarized the racist vitriol that Aaron was forced to endure. Is this to be the year in which Aaron, at the age of 39, takes a moonwalk above one of the most hallowed individual records in American sport, or will it be remembered as the season in which Aaron, the most dignified of athletes, was besieged with hate mail and trapped by the cobwebs and goblins that lurk in baseball's attic? At the end of the 1973 season, Aaron received a plaque from the U.S. Postal Service for receiving more mail than any person excluding politicians. Aaron received an outpouring of public support in response to the bigotry. Newspaper cartoonist Charles Schultz created a series of peanut strips printed in August of 1973 in which Snoopy attempts to break the Ruth record, only to be besieged with hate mail. Lucy says in the August 11th strip, Hank Aaron is a great player, but you, if you break Babe Ruth's record, it'll be a disgrace. Coincidentally, Snoopy was only one home run short of tying the record and finished the season as such when Charlie Brown got picked off during Snoopy's last at-bat. And as it turned out, Aaron finished the 1973 season one home run short of Ruth. Babe Ruth's widow, Claire Hodgson, denounced the racism and declared that her husband would have been enthusiastically cheering for Aaron's attempt at the record. As the 1973-74 season began, Aaron's pursuit of the record caused a small controversy. The Braves opened the season on the road in Cincinnati with a three-game series against the Reds. Braves management wanted him to break the record in Atlanta and were therefore going to have Aaron sit out the first three games of the season. But baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn ruled that he had to play two games in the first series. He played two out of three, tying Babe Ruth's record on April 4, 1974, in his very first at-bat on his first swing of the season off Reds pitcher Jack Billingham, but did not hit another home run in the series. The Braves returned to Atlanta, and on April 8, 1974, a crowd of 53,775 people showed up for the game, a Braves attendance record. The game was also broadcast nationally on NBC. In the fourth inning, Aaron hit home run number 715 off Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Al Downing. Although Dodgers outfielder Bill Buckner nearly went over the outfield fence trying to catch it, the ball flew into the Braves' bullpen, where relief pitcher Tom House caught it. While cannons were fired in celebration, two college students sprinted onto the field and jogged alongside Aaron for part of his circuit around the bases, temporarily startling him. A young Craig Sager actually interviewed Aaron between third and home for a television station WXLT in Sarasota. As the fans cheered wildly, Aaron's parents ran onto the field as well. Braves announcer Milo Hamilton called the game on WSB Radio, described the scene as Aaron broke the record. Henry Aaron in the second inning walked and scored. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging, there's a drive into left center field. That ball is gonna be out of here. It's gone. It's 715, there's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going, 
Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate and listen to this crowd. Meanwhile, Dodgers broadcaster Vin Scully addressed the racial tension or apparent lack thereof in his call of the home run. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. And for the first time in a long time, that poker face in Aaron shows the tremendous strain and relief of what it must have been like to live with the past several months. Thank you, Hammer and Hank. Rest in power, our brother. Today in sports history, in 1947, the NFL adds a fifth official, a back judge, and allows sudden death in the playoffs. In 1950, Jackie Robinson signs the highest contract of the time in Dodger history for 35000 in 1956, the sixth NBA All-Star Game is held in Rochester, New York. West beats the East 108-94. The MVP is Bob Pettit, center of the St. Louis Hawks. In 1962, Jackie Robinson is the first African-American elected to baseball's Hall of Fame. Bob Feller is also elected. In 1964, CBS purchases 1964 and 1965 NFL TV rights for $28.2 million. In 1973, Warren Spahn is elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. In 1976, those Cleveland Cavaliers have the biggest margin victory with 43 points, beating the Milwaukee Bucks 132-89. to In 1982, Super Bowl 16 is held at the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, Michigan. San Francisco 49ers beat the Cincinnati Bengals 26-21. The MVP is quarterback Joe Montana of the 49ers. In 1986, New York Islander Mike Bossy scores his 1,000th point. Bows. In 1990, the Lakers' Pat Riley becomes the 13th and fastest coach to reach the 500 victory plateau as the Lakers down the Indiana Pacers 120 to 111. In 2010, the AFC Championship is held at Lucas Oil Stadium, Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis Colts beat the New York Jets 30-17. And on that same day, the NFC Championships are held at the Louisiana Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. The Saints beat the Minnesota Vikings 31-28. And in 2016, the AFC Championship is held at Mile High Stadium in Denver, Colorado. The Denver Broncos beat the New England Patriots 20-18. On that same day, the NFC Championships are held at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Carolina Panthers beat the Arizona Cardinals 49-15. And that was my half-assed sports report. Coming up, we're going to go over the original Royal Rumble, the OG, as it aired on this day, January 24th, 1988. We'll be black after these messages. Today's birthdays for January 24th. Happy 35th birthday to English-American actress Misha Barton. Happy 42nd birthday to American actress, singer, one of the most beautiful women to grace this planet, the lovely Tatiana Ali. <sighs> Turning 43 today is American actress, voice artist, comedian, and writer Kristen Shaw. American actor, producer, and screenwriter Ed Helms turns 47 today. Turning 51 is American actor Matthew Lillard. American gymnast Mary Lou Redden turns 53 today. Turning 64 is American basketball player and sportscaster Mark Eaton. And both turning 80 years old today are American singer Aaron Neville and American singer, songwriter, and guitarist Neil Diamond. On the next episode of Booty and Fight in Atlanta, this bitch pours a drink on that hoe when she finds out they're fucking the same nigga. Tune in to VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta, a show filled with cattiness, rattiness, fake tits, fake boobs, wigs, weaves, and most importantly, niggas. VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta. Light a candle for the
sinners Cause we're all going to hell My elevated mind state is how I learned to kill the guilt Don't look for me, the advice that will never fail you What could I sell you or tell you You must pay for whatever ails you And so I fell through the cracks of self-destruction Landed on the polar opposite of wealth and abundance You picked a hell of a time to leave me Bereavement and grievance hitting rock bottom Certainly affected my achievements off the deep end, a lowly vessel in the night, adrift without a compass, lost out there on the tide, but what really lies ahead is often the most surprising, squint my eyes and I can see my redemption on the horizon, now I'm back in the double eyes in the fucking building, swag through the ceiling, a perfect portrait of resilience, testimony of the realest, have to be numb, not to feel it, this'll be the moment you tell everybody that I killed it, and you know... They can help me elevate like David Blaine and levitate OMG for heaven's sake, you dealing with some heavyweights Charles S. Dutton flow, taking out the trash man Hotter than Afghanistan, wrapped up in a Afghan Tito Santana flying, elbow catch the back hand Got too many villains hating on me like I'm Batman But I'm back man, Steven G a captain Turn my back to these haters, another back to stabbing you a hater in the world, might as well know you hate, hate, hate Like that shit from the Chappelle show And a special mention to those no longer with us This past Friday, we lost American professional baseball player Hank Aaron Born Henry Lewis Aaron on February 5th, 1934 in Mobile, Alabama He played 23 seasons in Major League Baseball from 1954 through 1976 he spent 21 seasons with the Milwaukee slash Atlanta Braves in the National League and two seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers in the American League. Aaron is regarded as one of the greatest baseball players of all time. His 755 career home runs broke the long-standing MLB record set by Babe Ruth and stood as the most for 33 years. Aaron still holds many other MLB batting records. He hit 24 or more home runs every year from 1955 through 1973 and is one of only two players to hit 30 or more home runs in a season at least 15 times. In 1999, the Sporting News ranked Aaron fifth on its list of 100 greatest baseball players. In 1982, he was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. Aaron was born and raised in and around Mobile, Alabama. Aaron had seven siblings, including Tommy Aaron, who played Major League Baseball with him. He appeared briefly in the Negro American League and in minor league baseball before starting his major league career. By his final MLB season, Aaron was the last Negro League baseball player on a major league roster. Aaron played the vast majority of his MLB games in right field, though he appeared at several other infield and outfield positions. In his last two seasons, he was primarily a designated hitter. Aaron was an NL All-Star for 20 seasons and an AL All-Star for one season, and he holds the record for the most All-Star selections with 25, while sharing the record for most All-Star games played, 24, with Willie Mays and Stan Musial. He was a three-time Gold Glove winner, and in 1957, he won the NL Most Valuable Player Award when the Milwaukee Braves won the World Series. Aaron holds the MLB record for most career runs batted in, 2,297, extra base hits, 1,477, and total bases, 6,856. Aaron is also in the top five for career hits, 3,771, and runs with 2,174. He is one of only four players to have at least 17 seasons with 150 or more hits. Aaron is in second place in home runs and at-bats, and in third place in games played. At the time of his retirement, Aaron held most of the game's key career power hitting records. After his retirement, Aaron held front office roles with the Atlanta Braves, including senior vice president. In 1988, Aaron was inducted into the Wisconsin Athletic Hall of Fame. In 1999, MLB introduced the Hank Aaron Award to recognize the top offensive players in each league. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002. 
He was named a 2010 Georgia trustee by the Georgia Historical Society in recognition of accomplishments that reflect the ideals of Georgia's founders. Aaron was Catholic, having converted in 1959 with his family. He and his wife first became interested in the faith after the birth of their first child, whom they baptized immediately. A friendship with a Catholic priest later helped lead Hank and his wife's conversion. Aaron was known to frequently read The Imitation of Christ, which he kept in his locker. He was a longtime fan of the Cleveland Browns, having attended many games in disguise in their dog pound seating section. Aaron suffered from arthritis and had a partial hip replacement after a fall in 2014. Aaron publicly received a COVID-19 vaccination on January 5, 2021 at the Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. He and several other African-American public figures, including activist Joe Beasley, Andrew Young, a former U.S. Congressman for Georgia, Ambassador for the United Nations and 55th Mayor of Atlanta, and Louis Sullivan, a former Secretary of the U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary, did so to demonstrate the safety of the vaccine and to encourage other Black Americans to do the same. Aaron died in his sleep on January 22, 2021, two weeks shy of his 87th birthday in Atlanta. Just yesterday, we lost American television presenter and radio host Larry King. Born Lawrence Harvey Zeger on November 19, 1933 in New York City, he was also a journalist whose work was recognized with awards including two Peabody's, an Emmy Award and 10 Cable Lace Awards. King began as a local Florida journalist and radio interviewer in the 1950s and 1960s and gained prominence beginning in 1978 as host of The Larry King Show, an all-night nationwide call-in radio program heard on the Mutual Broadcasting System. From 1985 to 2010, he hosted the nightly interview television program Larry King Live on CNN. From 2012 to 2020, he hosted Larry King Now, which aired on Hulu, Aura TV, and RT America. He continued to host Politicking with Larry King, a weekly political talk show, which aired weekly on the same two channels from 2013 until his death in 2021. On April 23, 2019, King underwent a scheduled angioplasty and also had stents inserted. It was erroneously reported that he had another heart attack along with heart failure. These claims were later retracted. He returned to Politicking with Larry King on August 15th. On November 27th, he said he had a stroke in March and was in a coma for weeks. He later admitted he had contemplated suicide following the stroke, telling Los Angeles television station KTLA, I thought I was just going to bite the bullet. I didn't want to live this way. On January 2nd, 2021, it was revealed that King had been hospitalized 10 days earlier in the Los Angeles hospital after testing positive for COVID-19. On January 23rd, he died at the age of 87 at Cedar sinai Medical Center, Los Angeles. John Belushi was an American actor, comedian, and singer. Born John Adam Belushi on January 24, 1949 in Chicago, Illinois, he was one of the seven original cast members of the NBC sketch comedy show, Saturday Night Live. Throughout his career, Belushi had a close personal and artistic partnership with his fellow SNL star, Dan Aykroyd, whom he met while they were both working at Chicago's Second City Comedy Club. Born in Chicago to Albanian-American parents, Belushi started his own successful comedy troupe with Tino Insana and Steve Bashekas called the West Compass Trio. After being discovered by Bernard Solins, he performed with the Second City and met Aykroyd, Brian Doyle Murray, and Harold Ramis. In 1975, Belushi was recommended to SNL creator and showrunner Lorne Michaels by Chevy Chase and Michael O'Donohue, who accepted Belushi as a new cast member of the show after an audition. He developed a series of characters on the show that reached high success, including Henry Kissinger and Beethoven. Belushi's Albanian ancestry lent itself to his classic Olympia restaurant sketch. After his breakout film role as John Blutarski in National Lampoon's Animal House, Belushi later appeared in films such as 1941, The Blues Brothers, and Neighbors. He also pursued interest in music. In his personal life, Belushi struggled with heavy drug use that threatened his comedy career. He was dismissed and rehired at SNL on several occasions due to his behavior. Belushi had managed to refrain from drug use for a brief period in 1981, but severely relapsed during the production of Neighbors. Less than four months after the shoot, the day before he died, he visited his longtime manager, Bernie Brillstein, and asked for money. Brillstein said no, strongly suspecting that Belushi wanted money for drugs. Later in the day, when Brillstein had another visitor, Belushi returned and again asked for money. 
Brillstein complied, reluctant to rebuke Belushi in front of another person. In the early morning, hours on the day of his death, Belushi was visited separately by friends Robin Williams and Robert De Niro, as well as Catherine Evelyn Smith. At approximately 12 p.m. Pacific on Friday, March 5, 1982, Belushi's fitness trainer and occasional bodyguard, Bill Wallace, arrived at Belushi's bungalow at the Chateau Marmont to deliver a typewriter and audio cassette recorder because Belushi had requested them the previous day. Wallace found Belushi dead with no one present in the bungalow. The cause of death was combined drug intoxication involving cocaine and heroin, a drug combination known as speedball. Belushi's death was investigated by forensic pathologist Michael Baden, among others, and while the findings were disputed, it was officially ruled a drug-related accident. In an interview with the National Enquirer two months after Belushi's death, Smith admitted that she had been with him at the Chateau Marmont on the night of his death and had given him the fatal speedball shot. After the appearance of the Enquirer article, the case was reopened. Smith was arrested, extradited from Ontario, Canada, and charged with first-degree murder. A plea bargain reduced the charge to involuntary manslaughter, and she served 15 months in prison. John Belushi would not have died when he died, except for the heroin that was furnished and administered by the defendant, the prosecutor said. Smith was arrested at the scene, but was let go by police after questioning. According to the transcript of Smith's police questioning, they didn't ask where she got the drugs, leading to speculation she was an informant, and they gave them to her. She was let go because it was a sting gone bad. Belushi's wife arranged for a traditional Orthodox Christian funeral that was conducted by an Albanian Orthodox priest. He was interred at Abel's Hill Cemetery in Chilmark, Massachusetts on Martha's Vineyard. Belushi's tombstone has a skull and crossbones with the inscription, I may be gone, but rock and roll lives on. His body was removed and reburied in an unmarked grave nearby due to fans littering on his original grave. He was 33 at the time of his death. Rest easy, y'all. The 1988 Royal Rumble was the inaugural Royal Rumble professional wrestling event produced by the World Wrestling Federation. It took place on January 24, 1988 at the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario. Unlike the subsequent Royal Rumble events, this event was not shown on pay-per-view and was instead a television special shown on the USA Network. Four matches were contested at the event. The main event was a two out of three falls match in which the Islanders defeated the Young Stallions. The undercard included the first ever Royal Rumble match, which was won by Jim Duggan. The Jumping Bomb Angels defeated the Glamour Girls in a two out of three falls match to win the WWF Women's Tag Team Championship. And in the opening bout, Ricky Steamboat defeated Rick Rude by disqualification. The idea for the Royal Rumble match was constructed by wrestler Pat Patterson. The rules were that each wrestler had to draw a number between 1 and 20. The number 1 and number 2 entrants would begin the match while the other participants would join the match every two minutes thereafter. Like a standard battle royal, participants had to eliminate their opponents by tossing them over the top rope with both feet touching the floor. The winner would be the last wrestler remaining after all others had been eliminated. It was originally a television special shown on USA Network. The first experimental Royal Rumble match happened on October 4, 1987 in St. Louis, Missouri. One man gang won the match, last eliminating Junkyard Dog. Possibly because the event was not televised and a financial failure, drawing only 1,976 people, this event is not acknowledged. The Royal Rumble became one of the promotion's original four pay-per-views, along with WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series, which were eventually dubbed the Big Four. The first match was between Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat. At the conclusion of the match, Steamboat attempted a diving crossbody, but Rude pulled the referee, Dave Ebner, in front of him to avoid any contact onto himself. Rude placed Steamboat in a Canadian backbreaker rack, but Ebner signaled for the bell. Rude reacted as if Ebner was awarding him the match via submission, but in fact, Ebner instead awarded the bout to Steamboat via disqualification. Dino Bravo attempted to set a world record to bench press 715 pounds. He was successful, but with the help from spotter Jesse the Body Ventura. The second match was a women's tag team two out of three falls match for the WWF Women's Tag Team Championship, as the champions, the Glamour Girls, defended the titles against the Jumping Bomb Angels. Jumping Bomb Angels won the title after executing a double drop kick in the third and deciding fall. 
Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan signed a contract for WrestleMania 3 rematch that took place on February 5, 1988, the main event. Tied into this was that Ted DiBiase had previously purchased Andre's contract from Bobby Heenan and promised Andre, should he defeat Hogan for the WWF Championship and then deliver it to him, that he would reward Andre with a large sum of money. During the entering promo after the signed contract at DiBiase's prompting to give your stamp of approval, Andre grabbed Hogan, slammed his head into the table, and then tipped the table on top of him before the heels left the ring. Next was the match the event was based on, the Royal Rumble match. The first two wrestlers ever to enter a Royal Rumble match were Bret Hart of the Hart Foundation and one half of the WWF Tag Team Champions of Strike Force, Tito Santana. Butch Reed entered at number three. Bret Hart's tag team partner, Jim the Anvil Neihart, entered at number four. He helped Reed and his tag partner, Bret, in attempting to eliminate Santana. Santana held onto the ropes until Jake Roberts entered at number five, making the save for Santana. He tossed Reed out of the ring and eliminated him in the first elimination in Royal Rumble history. He began pounding on Hart Foundation. Santana and Roberts tried to hit a double DDT on Hart, but Neidhart attacked both men, saving his partner. Hart hit a double jumping pile driver on Santana while Harley Race entered at number six. Neidhart and Race tried to eliminate Roberts while Santana nearly tossed Hart. Jim Brunzel entered at number seven and almost eliminated Hart before Neidhart attacked Brunzel, saving Hart again. Sam Houston entered at number eight and went after Hart Foundation. They tossed Santana out of the ring to even the score 3-3. Danny Davis entered at number nine and began attacking Houston. Race attacked Roberts through the ropes. Roberts tried to hit a DDT on Davis, but Davis blocked it. Boris Zukov entered at number 10. Zukov's the Bolsheviks tag team partner, Nikolai Volkov and Don Morocco were quarreling over who was number 11. The referees informed them that Morocco was number 11 and Volkov was number 12. Zukov was eliminated by Roberts and Brunzel. Brunzel dropkicked Hart, but it had no great effect on Hart. Volkov entered at number 12 as Morocco clothesline race. Jim Duggan entered at number 13 and received a nice reaction by the Canadian fans. All the wrestlers continued to beat each other until Ron Bass entered at number 14. Volkov prevented from Brunzel eliminating Davis. Brunzel pounded on Volkov, but was thrown out by Volkov. B. Brian Blair entered at number 15. Hillbilly Jim entered at number 16 and eliminated Neidhart. Dino Bravo entered at number 17. Bass had Houston on the shoulders and he threw Houston over the top rope, thus eliminating Houston in the process. The Ultimate Warrior entered at number 18 as Morocco eliminated Bret Hart. Though Hart did not win the match, he set the first Royal Rumble longevity record for being eliminated at 25 minutes and 42 seconds. The One Man Gang entered at number 19 and he eliminated Blair, then Roberts. The final participant entering at number 20 was the Junkyard Dog. Duggan tossed Volkov out of the ring, while on the other side of the ring, the one-man gang eliminated Hillbilly Jim and later the Ultimate Warrior. Bass surprisingly attacked the Junkyard Dog and eliminated him from behind, while Morocco surprisingly closed line Bass over the top rope. As the final four left, Morocco, Duggan, Bravo, and OMG, the one-man gang, nailed Duggan with a big splash in the corner, and then one-man gang and Bravo began double-teaming on Morocco. Morocco managed to control both men until Frenchie Martin came out and distracted Morocco. Bravo and the one-man gang was able to eliminate him. They went to do the same on Duggan. The one-man gang attacked him, but Duggan ducked, and the one-man gang accidentally eliminated Bravo. After a brawl with one-man gang, Duggan eliminated him to become the first-ever Royal Rumble winner. Ho! In a two-out-of-three falls match between the Islanders, Haku and Tama, and the Young Stallions, Paul Roma and Jim Powers, closed the broadcast. The first fall concluded when Roma was tossed over the top rope by Tama. The ropes were low-bridged by Haku, resulting in Roma injuring his knee. Roma was unable to return to the ring and got countered out, giving the first fall to the Islanders. Powers worked much of the second fall, with Roma ailing on the ring apron, but eventually gave away to Roma after taking a lengthy beating. Roma reluctantly tagged himself in, but became an immediate victim to a Tama splash onto his injured knee. Haku then forced Roma to submit with a half crab to win the match in two straight falls. This Royal Rumble set a record for the highest viewed wrestling program on cable TV at the time, with an 8.2 rating. This was the granddaddy, the original, the OG of Royal Rumbles, and still going 30 plus years later. Happy 33rd anniversary, Royal Rumble. Thank you for the memories. Today in 
entertainment history. In 1984, the Golden Globes are held. In 1988, the inaugural Royal Rumble event airs live on USA Network. In 1995, live broadcasts of the O.J. Simpson trial began. As a result, many network soap operas are partially preempted, more or less for nine months. In 1995, Van Halen releases the album Balance and Two Short releases Cocktails. In 1999, the Golden Globes of that year is held. In 2005, the Golden Raspberry Awards make their pick for Worst Film Achievement in 2004. It had Catwomen leading with seven nominations. In 2006, Disney announces their plans to acquire Pixar. And on that same day, CBS and Warner Brothers announced the initiation of the CW Television Network for the 2006-2007 season. The network is, in a sense, a merger of the WB and UPN and is designed to replace both of those networks. In 2011, Adele releases the album 21. In 2013, after years of being bumped due to the show running out of time, Matt Damon exacts revenge on Jimmy Kimmel by taking over as host of this date's airing of Jimmy Kimmel Live. And in 2017, the new edition story miniseries premieres on BET. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please make sure to check out my other show, Happen in the 90s with my buddy Matt, every Thursday. And also, please make sure you have your pets sprayed in Hooters, or whatever the fuck Bob Barker said. Y'all be cool. Peace.